Hello and welcome to the Northern Connection. Rachel here. Yes, they have let me loose on the intro, so pretty much anything could happen. In the second of our November episodes, we are delighted to bring you a chat and reading from Liverpool-based writer Matt Cook, whose debut novel, Life on Other Planets, was published by Lendl Press earlier this year. We hope you enjoy. We're joined now by author Matt Cook. So Matt is based in Liverpool and is originally from the South, but describes himself as an adopted Northerner. In 2020, Matt was shortlisted for the Cambridge Short Story Prize. His stories have appeared in the Stockholm Review, Oblong Magazine, Number 11, and Cool Dog Short Story Prize, amongst others. He works as a freelance writer and lives in Liverpool. So Matt, you're very welcome to the Northern Connection. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely, lovely to be on. So your first novel, Life on Other Planets, was published this summer by Lendl Press. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, so Life on Other Planets is about the Carter family. And it's set in 1997 as they come together um, for a funeral. Well, there's been a death in the family. Great Aunt Pearl has passed away. And there is a kind of a crew crew that needs to come together and clear her house and deal with her estate and arrange a funeral so um, the story is by and large told through the eyes of Benjamin who was 14 at the time he's recounting this from an unknown date in the future and so you see the family's attempt to come together and do what they think is going to be a straightforward process interspersed with his first person account are a series of letters and it's a hard thing to describe without giving away any spoilers because uh, what begins as a seemingly innocuous um, attempt to make contact from an old friend to Pearl uh, slowly begins to reveal itself to be something a little bit more sinister. Um, hopefully that gives you a fairly... That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Actually, um, Rachel and I are both reading the book at the moment and really, really enjoying it um, right. and, and just laughing our heads off, like <laughs> we mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> would you be able to read a little bit from chapter one for us just to give listeners uh, a feel for the book? Yes, absolutely. Imagine for a moment that you are rushing through space at a million miles an hour, that stars whip by you like headlights on a motorway. Galaxies shimmer and warp in the distance like luminous vapour, beautiful beyond all words. Now imagine that the dots blur, an adjustment is made, and all of a sudden they really are headlights. It really is a motorway. Your brain is idling, but you know certain things to be so. There is a car. It is late. A boy is half asleep, sliding in and out of dreams. His father is awake and driving, steering carefully, apprehensively. They have been folded up inside it for hours, three at least. They are cold and hungry. The conversation dried up and crossed it over miles back. The car slows, eases through ever smaller and darker roads before finally snaking its way down a long Mobius strip of a driveway, pulling up outside an old house. Across the field, you can see the lights of the nearest neighbour. Probably only 10 minutes walk from the look of it, maybe 20, but right now it feels like light years. The man and the boy unfold their legs like grasshoppers, shuffle towards the front door, carrying their supplies. Imagine that there they stand, each waiting for the other to reach out. There are no lights on and this is wrong. 
Imagine that the moment lasts for a long while and that this weight disturbs something inside the boy, trips a wire, brings every sense imploding in upon some central point, rushing, binding into consciousness, awake at last. And now imagine that this consciousness is not somebody else, but you. You are the boy, and the dream is over. You are cold, and you are here at a dead woman's house, your skin prickling and dancing, a life of its own. You turn to your father. Well? Open it, you say, feeling hardly any guilt for behaving like such a brat. Your bones feel frail. It is freezing. The man who is your father, who in this light could be anybody, nods and reaches into his pocket for the key, slides it in, pushes at the door. It sticks. Something is massed behind it, heavy and crunchy like snow. You squeeze your fingers through the gap. It's post. Hundreds of envelopes of all shapes and sizes. Strange, ornate markings just visible. You poke, then kick at them until the door begins to move. In you go. The house is full of a thick, sickly moonlight to pick your way through. You grope behind the door for the hockey stick you hope is still there in the umbrella stand. Is it? Yes, it is. You lift it up. Hello? Your father shouts. There is no reply. Where is everybody? I don't know. There's nobody here. He looks at the hockey stick in your hand. There's nothing here, says your father. Settle down. You realise in the darkness that this face staring back at you is very possibly what you will look like 30 years from now. You wonder if this is the kind of house you will live in. You shudder. You follow your father inside, knowing he is enjoying the experience even less than you, and that all his bland courage, including the shapeless tune he is humming, is for show. Just like you, he is tiptoeing on a brink. The moonlight shows you outlines of things in the corridor, the bizarre, eclectic horde of a recluse. What you can just about see appears heaped up. As your nose warms up, odours compete. Old booze, corroding metal and mouldy fabrics. Soap, plastics. You adjust your grip on the hockey stick, a twist and a heft. The man who is your father is wrong. There is definitely something here. It may not be alive or necessarily visible, but you can feel it absorbing hear it adjusting itself behind the unseeable curtain. It has been raining where there is a drip. A cupboard door hangs open. You peer in. It is a cupboard of jams. At least you hope they're jams. Spiders retreat from you, pretending not to be there. Or perhaps they simply aren't. Your eyes are definitely not behaving normally. One is fluttering uncontrollably. Of old flowers now intrudes. Mice, a rottenness in the air. Smells rotten, you say loudly to the man who you hope is your father, but who is far away inside the kitchen and whose reply is too faint to make out. You spot what looks like her handwriting on one of the heaps. God, this place is rank. Your footsteps are making a nauseating, wet, crinkling noise, and you cannot quite tell whether it's the carpet or your shoes or a combination of the two. You take a few steps and can see the wall of pictures now. This place is horrifying, truly terrifying. How did anyone live here? It is now that the hairy face comes at you from the darkness, white whiskers splayed, teeth bared, and you scream, but wow, here comes the hockey stick. It lands well several times before you see that it is just a stuffed badger, now eyeless and jawless, a window of clean white bone apparent underneath, a light dusting of him all over your shoes. You realise you are panting. Your father is holding your arm. This is ridiculous, you both agree, though what exactly, which aspect is hard to say. This is not a house. It is a dead person's feet that are allowed to go cold. You press the heel of your hand into your temple and hold it there. 
Something is throbbing inside you. Your eyes are still not to be trusted. Someone turns on the light. Fantastic. Thank you very much. That was amazing to listen to. So I think from that, that the listeners will have picked up on the fact that there is a lot of humour in this book. Have you always written humour? Um, yeah, so that chapter probably, is probably one of the least humorous in the whole book, actually. Um, there are little whiffs of the kind of uh, sort of sensibilities that come in later on. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I have always written humour. I think um, the extent to which what you are writing is funny is something you don't necessarily even know yourself until it actually goes down. And I think um, a lot of the fiction, the short stories that I first started writing were um, very clumsily attempting to be funny or or find a, a, a hook of something that amused me. And I think it took a while for it to work on an emotional level and a sort of a humorous level. Um, I, I think that I tend to, I have to start with something that is superficially quite entertaining and quite kind of almost daft, almost sort of serious, trying to not, trying to work my way around to to something that is is meaningful and has emotional resonance. And I think it has to be, I have to start away from that thing. And I think humour is my way into it. Um, I think humour is very hard to write. And I think finding very good, well-written humour is actually quite difficult. When I think of what I've read this year, there's not a lot of humour. And that's not for one to try in. I just think it's quite a hard thing to achieve. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, I suppose, um, I don't know, you guys probably read more books than me. So what, what have you read recently that was... Uh, that was funny that made you laugh? Um, I read um, something from Blue Moose, so Jane Lyon's Domestic, was it Domestic Bliss and Other Stories, I think, and that was that was very funny. I really enjoyed that. Um, Matson Taylor's um, The Misadventures of E.B. Epson, uh, Epworth, that was really very funny as well. Um, it's, it is, I think, actually, um, Dead Relatives as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was there's, it's dark, but there's some really dark humor in there. It's as well. very dark, yeah, very dark. But there is some dark elements of humor in there. Maybe that's just me being a bit twisted and weird. But there was definitely some some bits in it that made me that made me laugh. There's, but I yeah. find that actually it's quite hard to write or quite hard to find well written humor. And I think Life on Other Planets does it spectacularly well. So oh, well, congratulations on that. I think I um, when people ask me who my favourite writers are, um, or, or, or books that uh, I you know have enjoyed recently, I tend to be without realising it. They tend to be things that have made me laugh. They tend to be people that take humour seriously, or or at least that have a really good way of blending humour in there. And I think in completely different ways. And the first writer that I really fell in love with um, was Kurt Vonnegut, and then and I sort of fell hard for his approach and humour is inescapable and, and it's so bleak in a lot of ways and it, it drives right to the heart of what is dreadful about humanity um, and then sort of probably 15 years later I fell just as hard for George Saunders um, oh, oh, George Saunders Yeah, exactly <laughs> Look, 
And and the thing is, there's such an interesting sort of parallel, the two of them, you know, when you look at the, um, the, the, the their approach to write and their approach to humour, um, I think their worldviews were probably similar, but at the same time, very different. I think the, the kind of humour they go for is completely different. I think how it's sort of, I think it's a byproduct. I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people who go for writing funny, maybe it's, see, I don't sit down and try and be funny. I try and write something that is substantial and I have to go through humour. I think it has a lot on, to do with your world view, doesn't yeah. it? And the way you view the world. And actually, I probably wonder if the job that we do, Emma, there's a little bit of black humour going on. Oh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> You know, that kind of how you get through the day. But I would definitely agree about George Saunders, particularly his short stories, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, I so, think... sorry to interrupt, but um, the Lincoln in the Bardo <laughs> was not, to me, but it was, it was my least favourite thing of his uh, because humour was so recessive, I think. I think, by and large, it was, the, it was, it was suddenly much more earnest than um than a lot of his previous work and i just didn't you know and it's not like i sat down and went oh come on make me laugh i just don't i, I think whatever he was his approach had had evolved and i was still stuck in the past a little bit maybe but what what was interesting to me i don't know whether either of you have come across charlie kaufman's uh, novel that he had out quite recently called Ant so it feels like a bit like the george saunders novel that maybe I was hoping for because he goes heavy for laughs but it's like um it's it's as if it's very there are lots of references to Beckett in it and it's very bleakly existential deep and complicated as well but there was an interview that he had recently with um someone Guardian I think where he said I I making people laugh makes me feel validated was one of the poor quotes and I think that that is clearly there he's trying to hold hold the audience with humor kind of desperately trying to make sure that he's still i suppose relevant to them on, on a on a moment by moment level when everything else is so dark and so complicated the humor is what he's using to make sure you don't let him go i'm probably a little bit like that um, i think i'm probably in the reverse to you because actually lincoln in the bardo was the first thing i read of right. um saunders is and actually the year that came out, that was the only year I read the entire Booker Prize long list. Right. I couldn't believe that there was going to be anything else on that long list yeah. that was going to be as good as Lincoln and the Bardo. <laughs> um, and so, and actually, I the humour did leap out at me. So those graveyard scenes, particularly with the um, with the Deep South couple who you know with all their with all their children who never come to visit them and um mm. i i thought that that was just amazing so so i really really enjoyed that yeah. about other things that i've read that were very funny and unexpectedly funny i read a book called the caravanners by elizabeth von Armen, yeah. uh, and she wrote in the 19 sort of 20s 1930s and and it was just the most hilariously satirical book that I have read for a very long time um, and it was sent to me as a proof and I would never have picked it up otherwise so so that was was pretty amazing so I think finding humour often comes in unexpected places doesn't it? Absolutely yeah I think I mean different people find different things funny different writers write funny in different ways uh, but I'm a real sucker for slapstick um, in particularly with cartoons there's nothing I like more the kids and watching 
you know, cartoon animals getting cans of paint dropped on their heads. Um, <laughs> so, Matt, as well as the humour in Life on Other Planets, there's a real unsettling feel to proceedings, particularly to Aunt Pearl's house, and the feel that things just aren't right there. When you started sending the book out, what genre were you told that it's slotted into? Well, it's classed as literary fiction and in a relatively sort of, you know, that's what it can, tends to get listed as on, on seller websites and things like that. When yeah. I've always pitched it as a, as a black comedy and I've always led with the humour. And again, yeah. that, that sort of comes from a place of insecurity. I lead with the, lead with the funny out of a, you know, a sort of a slight insecurity about whether everything else lands really. And I think I, I've always really liked kind of dark comedies about families falling apart and fighting with each other. So um, I think I've, I've sort of, um, the, the, the opening chapter was in a competition um, in Liverpool as part of the writing festival. And uh, I, part of that process, you read your chapter and then you asked the question. So I was very well prepared from day one with, you know, where does this sit on the shelf? What does it, what does it kind of sit here? Um, and um, I suppose I, I think that one of the kind of key comparisons, so all the literary comparisons in terms of pitching it and contextualizing it, it tends to be quite straight, like Ian McEwan, who's not famous for his humor. Um, but that, so the cement garden was probably a key influence on this, which has its moments in terms of humor, but um, you know, it's not generally known as a chortle fest. Um, but then the other, the other sort of touch points were, um, were televisual. They were things like um, Julia Davis, um, like Nighty Night and, um, and, and the kind of other stuff that she's done. Um, so it was hard to, I, I suppose, I, I never was under pressure to have to work out how to contextualize it. And mm. the, the Lendl, when, as soon as um, they read it, Paige Henderson read it, she just immediately got it. She just saw what I was trying to achieve, which was a real relief, really. I, I when I'd had feedback from other people, so um, an agent had looked at it and, got, and had gone, All right, tell me more about Pearl, tell me, you know, what, what's, what's going on? And she, she was kind of trying to drill into something much less funny, much less dark and much more true and real. And I think she wanted to squeeze it into a, a very different kind of a mold, or at least if she had been more interested in it, she might have done. But she was, I think, studying it to see whether it sat somewhere else on the shelf. And um, it definitely didn't belong there. Um, I don't know. I, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? The idea of where your book sits, yeah. how it genres and things like that. It's definitely not a comfortable, it was never going to be a comfortable genre fit. And I think I, I, I originally sat down to write a different kind of a book. I wanted to write something that was much more like uh, The Corrections, Jonathan Franzen. I don't know, have you both read that? I haven't read that one, no. It's a while ago, though, but I have read it. It's, it's, it's a pretty old book now, but I, th I kind of wanted it to, to, to sort of sit in that kind of a mould, really, and it just refused to. It just wouldn't. And I just came to terms with it being its own thing and just went, well, it, it is what it is. So, um, you know, hopefully someone will someone will like it. And uh, <laughs> they, they, I think yeah. quite a few people like it, actually. <laughs> I think quite a few people like it so you've kind of answered our next question was about inspiration but I think you've, you've given us quite a, a breakdown of the inspiration there so 
we know that you also write short stories. Did it, this begin as a short story or did you always know that this was going to be a novel length project? Uh, not at all, no. So I, um, this didn't start as a short story and it, and it came to being when I was actually part of a family crew clearing a elderly relative's house after her death and unpicking the strange spiritual um, connections that, that she had established. So it, it was born from something very, very like what happens in the book. Um, but I, I just, um, at the time, my wife was pregnant and she wanted a bed to herself. So I'd been turfed out into a spare room and was sleeping. We were actually not even in our own house. We were moving house. So I was sleeping on a bed covered with suitcases and laundry and things like this and I just had this sort of strange little window at the end of the night that I hadn't historically had and, I, and something had prodded me when I was doing the house clearance into thinking maybe there's a book in this is there a book in this I don't know and one evening I just had this sort of I just saw the first chapter which actually isn't is actually chapter two now it's not the chapter that I read but I just kind of that chapter just came to me the idea of Ben talking about his family and about a recent experience um with just sort of contextualizing all the story that comes and I just saw that in in a flash and I just sat up and grabbed my laptop and just wrote it and then put it down and put it in a drawer and completely forgot about it and I think at no point did I think that that was going to be a short story what I did think was it was a chapter of a novel that I would never write because I didn't feel that I was capable of writing a novel but you know it was you know I had it and, and it just stayed there until somebody suggested I go in for the competition in Liverpool and I dug it out of the drawer and dusted it off. And they went, yeah, definitely go for it. So I did. I was a runner-up in that. And that gave me the, the nudge to, to crack on and, and finish it really. That's well, great. Sort of. And, and how long did it take to write the novel? Yeah, so the sort of thing that I said was, <laughs> was kind of uh, clarifying there was that the, that process was about six years. So from the bit of... So I, when did it come out? It came out, um, you know, uh, this year. And I started it in 2015. Um, and I had the first chapter for, I don't know, six months before I added anything else to it. And then, yeah, I, as I said, my wife was pregnant when I started it. And so George turned up when, uh, you know, just before the competition. And then a terrible idea trying to write a book when you've got a, a, a newborn and um and then we had another one so it just took forever but yeah so i mean books take that long even without sort of children turning up but yeah probably about five or six years i think i think probably only three years of that was i really writing seriously and really knuckling down um uh, but it i would like to think it won't take me quite as long to write the next one so bring that brings us really neatly into our next question what are you working on at the moment well, I started another novel, and I've got a chapter that I like, and it start and a, and a second chapter that I that is unfinished, and I almost like. Um, I find it really hard to get my head into it at the moment. I think like a lot of life things have suddenly flared up and got in the way, but I'm I feel very affected by the pandemic still. I don't know whether you guys feel this, but there's an unreality to everything that is. It, I feel like I could write if I had time, but every, I, feel, I feel like the passage of time is strange. Interactions with people are strange. 
Do you feel that? I, I just, I still feel like I'm in a strange sort of ghostly aftershock. I think definitely myself and Emma feel like that. I, I don't want to speak for you, Emma, but I know from our conversations and I think maybe we feel we're a little bit living in a parallel universe from mm-hmm. actually, you know, what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis being, we're not our healthcare workers frontline, but we are pretty, you know, in the mix of, of it and actually the number of covid cases that i'm seeing in comparison to what the way people are behaving i feel quite a strange discord there um and so i think that does affect us and i think actually i'm very tired yeah yeah Yeah. i mean different people have different pressures and they're seeing it from different angles certainly but um i think that one of the things that is freaking me out is that everybody else seems to be so busy and settled and um particularly on book twitter as well there are just so many people writing and talking and cracking on and occasionally the old person will you know move something like this or say they're struggling but it's quickly swept away with the tide of people going hey i've got a new book out and stuff and it's, it's just really disorientating i've actually sort of stepped back off social media for a bit to try and just sort of cleanse my head a little bit you can take a lot of solace from other people on, on, on there but I think also it, it's such a information tsunami that's mm. what I try to step back and go okay just recalibrate and then I'm still not recalibrated I'm going well, I don't quite know what what else to do I don't know I, I just feel like there's a there's a, there's a lot so anyway I'm not writing as much as I would like I really want to go back and start writing some short stories again um there were there was a, a few that I dropped when the book and things took off with the book that I want to come back to because uh, the last short that I finished was the was um, Thresholds, which was the shortlisted for the Cambridge Short Story Prize. So um, the, the, to, to give a little bit more content, a bit more interest for people actually listening, the new book is, um, it's a kind of a thriller, and it's set in a very weird stately home. And, mm-hmm. uh, like that already. <laughs> yeah, so it's about a wedding photographer and his wife that go to, photograph a wedding that they don't realize is going to end up um extremely strange so that's about as that's as much as i can i can give away at the moment sounds great yeah. <laughs> yeah um i wonder if we could ask you what your favorite book with a northern connection is so whether it's the author whether it's publisher whether it's a setting yeah absolutely so i um I've actually got it right here in front of me. So I don't know whether you guys like Comma Press, but um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Comma. They yeah. are heroes, Amazing. absolute heroes. And they, um, so I used to live in Manchester and I, I actually did a short story writing course with them, with uh, Claire Dean. And um, so they hosted it, it was at their offices. And the, that story thresholds was actually something that I started as part of one of the exercises at Claire set. And so I just love comma that, you know, iconic Manchester publisher and Adam Merrick's instruction manual for swallowing is the book that I've chosen. Um, it was the bought and it just had a huge influence on me. Um, his Adam Merrick's approach. I don't know whether have either of you read the book or do you know of any of his stories? No. Read a fair few comma press, but I haven't read that one. Yeah, so it's relatively old now. I think when did it come out? So two thousand and six, something like that. Two thousand and seven, yeah. Um, and but the the, the, the only story is called the Forty Liter Monkey. That was quite well known. 
um, at the time. Um, because it was, it, it, I think it was a prize winner, and I, I know that it's been on the BBC, it was read on, on, um, on the BBC. A guy, he goes to a pet shop looking for a pet, and the pet, the pet shop owner says, do you want to see my 40-litre monkey? And takes him into this weird dark room where he has an enormous baboon, I think, um, that he keeps in the dark. And he dunks into this enormous tank to prove that it's 40 litres. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just incredible. That as a, that as a, as a, as a set, like if you'd have described that to me before I had even read the book, I would have gone, yes, please, like, like immediately. Yeah. No, I think there are some settings, aren't there, that are so out there or some ideas that are so out there, you know, that, that's going to really grab your attention. So that's definitely one to look out of for because I hadn't I hadn't heard of that one at all. I oh yeah, definitely check him out. I think he's got a new. So um, Adam very kindly did a cover quote. I I sent him an email and just said I'm a big fan. Would you do you fancy doing a cover quote for Life on Other Planets? And he very kindly said yes, yeah, something really nice quote, um, which will be on the on the back of the copies that you got. Um, but he um, I think he said in an email that he's got a new. He's working on a, on a third collection, which is very exciting news. Like. George Saunders is very, very funny. Um, and the, uh, but there's a huge, but I, I don't even want to say that, that it's, it's funny and dark the, it, it, because I don't think that the darkness really is a word that can be used, even though, I mean, one of the, one of my favorite stories, but one, one of his most famous stories is about testicular cancer. Um, there's also um, an amazing story called the centipede's wife about a guy who is uh, sort of captured by a giant centipede won't eat him because he smells so much like his wife the centipede won't eat him because he smells so much like his wife so but i can't it's very hard to describe i'm going to i'm going to stop talking because i'm doing a bad job of trying to capture no i it sounds amazing actually yeah. he's incredible it's it's really really he, he, he's great i can't wait for his new collection to come out Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. It's been a lovely chat this evening and we're really, really grateful for you joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, thank you for joining us at the Northern Connection. And November isn't over yet. Coming soon, we have a not-to-be-missed chat with short story writer Sarah Schofield, talking to us about the writing process and her recently published comma press release, Safely Gathered In. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can find us on Twitter at NorthernConPod and Instagram at The Northern Connection. Until next time. Mm-hmm.